All right, we are back with another episode. And as I promised, it is with LTS Binazzi, my colleague and an expert on fixed income. And uh, normally we have three topics, but today we only have two topics. So we're going to talk about a concept called fiscal dominance. And then we're going to talk about yesterday's 20-year auction in the US Treasury market. So, um, but the first topic, fiscal dominance, is um, yeah, you, you and I were laughing a little bit, uh, LTS, because for one, uh, well, you know, first, it was a it was a request or a wish from one of our listeners. It's a very interesting topic, but also a little bit complicated. So, bear with us if we uh, if we don't get it out uh, in in the best possible way. But uh, Altea will do her best to sort of explain this concept. I I find it very fascinating, and it's a really you know high level. So, Altea, let's let's try to delve into it. So, what what does fiscal dominance mean? What what is the concept basically? Well, fiscal dominance means that uh, the fiscal policy dominates over monetary policies. So it's more or less what is happening now in uh, the U.S. Uh, We have a high uh, government deficit and a high accumulation of debt. And uh, realistically, if we think about the Federal Reserve that has been hiking interest rates, um, well, the the central banks uh, and politicians are pulling from two opposite uh, directions uh, for the simple uh, reason that uh, fiscal uh, um, expenditures are larger and that contribute into stimulating the economy um, and create a high deficits and higher interest rates are trying uh, to slow down the economy. Um, but uh, also are going to increase the cost, the interest uh, um, payments uh, that the government has to do on that debt. Yeah, so so if we just pause a little bit. So we had the pandemic, and during the pandemic, the U.S. government basically massively expanded the the fiscal deficits uh, to keep a hand onto the economy. And the... The initial thinking by central banks and economists was that the supply side of the global economy would respond, you know, inflation would be temporary, but the fiscal impulse into the economy was so big and we were so constrained on the supply side. We also have the US-China relationship playing its part here. And the central bank, the Fed, was forced to hike rates aggressively to cool down inflation. But that now slowly and will be a a snowball and it will accelerate, increase, as you say, the services cost which actually keeps the fiscal deficits higher for longer, potentially even expanding. Exactly. And not only, uh, Peter, but literature uh, proves that uh, higher cost of debt and higher deficits uh, then ultimately can result in higher inflation. And that if inflation is caused by fiscal dominance, then at that point you do need uh, higher interest rates. Well, you cannot really use uh, hiking interest rates in order to find that kind of inflation. You have to use other tools. Uh, But um, I want to give you some uh, data out there, Peter, just to understand how uh, um, dangerous this kind of situation is at the moment. So we had a report uh, this year from uh, the Congress Budget Office Um, that is trying to project uh, the debt to GDP of the U.S. government. And it's saying that if we take into consideration a fiscal deficit of around 4%, the debt to GDP 
is likely to rise to almost 200% by 2053, and the economy will be stagnating. So the big question is, is it sustainable to continue with uh, some this large fiscal deficit or it's important for politicians to tackle that way. And that's a very difficult conversation because also as we enter in an, into an election here, who's that politician that wants actually to cut uh, spending? Yeah. It's very unlikely. And, that, and that's why you, when, in, when you, if you enter this fiscal dominance dynamic, it's actually very, very difficult to get out of it again. Right, because as you say, there will at one point be a limit. So the central bank cannot raise rates even more. It just increases the service cost. Politicians they don't want to cut down on government services, so the situation gets worse. To stabilize the situation, the central bank might even cut the interest rates to lower the servicing cost of the of that debt. But that you know potentially pushes the the rates into a a real negative real rate. Right. Exactly, but I think that uh, that. Uh, um Peter, I think that the big uh, thing to understand about uh, fiscal uh, dominance uh, is that uh, it's politicians uh, that drive and drag the central banks in order to fulfill their, their needs. And that's very one, one of the biggest examples is here in Europe with the ECB and uh, various countries uh, within the European Union. Basically, there is no common fiscal policy here. Um, and all countries have uh, certain kind of issues when uh, we look at fiscal policies. But uh, the mandate of the ECB is um, to maintain a stable rate of inflation. And everything is secondary, right? Uh, they have to maintain, obviously, the financial market in orders. And realistically, what has happened, uh, one, one of the biggest examples of fiscal dominance in Europe uh, has been as just in the past couple of years when the ECB started to hike interest rates and stop uh, reinvestment, uh, reinvestments under the APP program. And at that point, uh, what happened is that the spread between BTP and Bund started to widen and therefore the ECB had uh, to invent another kind of a program called Transmission Protection um, instrument. I like the name. Yeah, TPI, yeah. Uh, which is uh, looking uh, to keep uh, spreads across sovereign spreads across uh, the European Union stable. So basically, what's happening here, Peter, is that uh, governments uh, are doing more or less what they like in terms of fiscal spending, and the ECB is already printing money in order to support their spending, and that's fiscal dominance. Great. And and I think there's also an important point to uh, to make on the uh, on the negative negative uh, real rates uh, which potentially is a way for the government to uh, sorry the central bank to to stabilize the situation if the fiscal dominance become a very uh, you know um, self uh, self-inflicted and self-propelling dynamic and that it, it it eats it reduces the debt servicing cost but it also eats into capital right and that's where it gets dangerous that's also where potentially it becomes very dangerous for the currency itself i think we we've seen a little bit of that dynamic in the japanese uh, government bond market right where the bank of japan has a an effective yield curve control very negative real rates as inflation has been building in that economy and well 
if the central bank doesn't allow interest rates to find a new equilibrium in JDPs, the only available instrument to absorb that dynamic is the is the currency. And that's why the Japanese yen is is declining. And that is a problem because it actually lowers the the uh, the relative wealth of Japanese households relative to the rest of the world. So it seems like Altea that as soon as you enter this this um this space, it's very difficult to get out of it. Yeah, well, it looks like uh, that periods of fiscal dominance uh, are followed by, as you just explained, fiscal uh, periods of fiscal repressions. And uh, that might be the only way forward. Fiscal repression is just uh, governments uh, and central banks uh, trying to find a way to create inflation taxation. And with inflation taxation, it's just like, it's just a way to describe a shadow tax that is going to hit everybody uniformly without any kind of political policy attached or permission uh, obtained. Um, so the big concept out there is that if you have negative real rates, uh, that will erode uh, the debt uh, that uh, uh, a country has. And uh, who is going to pay for that uh, will be the citizens or the investors mm. uh, because uh, in real terms, uh, they are going to lose money. Yeah. But uh, I think that one big passage from fiscal dominance to fiscal repression is also the understanding that central banks don't have only interest rates as a tool to, um, to regulate the economy and uh, to achieve uh, their inflation target. They have also other kind of facilities they can use. For example, in, in the US, uh, um, there has been, um, since the global financial uh, crisis, uh, there has not been uh, any more reserve requirements. Um, but uh, in the past, uh, the, the, the Federal Reserve uh, set uh, reserve requirements uh, um, and that can be reinstated. And instead of paying interest on them, um, the Federal Reserve might decide not to pay interest on reserve re uh, requirements. And that would, would uh, uh, mean it would mean that uh, the Federal Reserve will or would need uh, the, the states, the government would not need uh, to pay interest rates on that kind of cash. And uh, also the burden of that uh, negative real rates will fall into the banking system. And then there's also the whole poten uh, potential outcome that government might be forced to, again, lower the services cost. Another option is that they begin issuing, uh, you know, in this case, the U.S. government issues treasuries, with, which are basically zero coupon treasuries, right? Absolutely. Y although zero coupon uh, uh, treasuries uh, are uh, al always going to yield... Uh, something. Something, right? Yeah. Because... Uh, they are go going to be issued at a discount and they are going to be paid back at par. But because you extend the cash flow to the maturity, you increase the duration risk, you also increase your risk as, as you know, a holder of that U.S. government bond to inflation risk Absolutely. And, and, pol and policy decisions. Okay, very complex. You might, you said, you might uh, write a follow-up uh, research note um, whenever there is time for it. So I, I think that's a, it's an interesting concept and... You know, we can uh, we definitely encourage the listeners if you find it interesting um, to dig into this more if on your on your own. You know, St. Louis Fed webpage if you uh, have uh, some great research papers also been mentioned by um, 
the IMF, the ECB. This is not a concept that have come out of nowhere. It's it's a real thing, something being discussed by uh, by central bankers. But Peter, I just want to just wrap uh, this yeah. up. I think that also when uh, reading all that material and trying to understand fiscal dominance versus a fiscal repression, it's very hard to position for this kind of... Uh, um, these, uh, these kind of uh, scenarios yeah. because uh, it's very hard to time things. In financial markets, it's almost impossible to time things, but it's very, very difficult uh, to time uh, the response that central banks or politicians might have according to a financial uh, cycle. So um, I think that it's more a theoretical work, and I think that uh, what our listeners uh, should should consider is that we are in a state of financial fiscal dominance and that might be worrisome for um for the US treasuries and bond issuance that might increase uh, in the near term and that could play negatively on uh, on their portfolio with higher interest rates and why inflation might not go down uh, so much that uh, or as much as the market hopes um okay Let's talk about the that twenty-year uh, auction from uh, from yesterday because we highlighted it. Um, we have highlighted it. You talked about it also in our internal uh, strategy call yesterday, Altia. Um, so take us through how was that bond auction and what was more importantly the impact on the U.S. Uh, Treasury yield curve and, uh, and especially that part of the of the maturity spectrum out of the um, out of the twenty years. So Peter, for and foremost, um, the. 20-year tenors is uh, the most disliked by bond investors. Why? Well, it carries a very long uh, duration, so you need, uh, you know, like uh, a big balance sheet in order to absorb uh, this kind of issuance. And uh, also, it's the least liquid part of the U.S. uh, uh, Treasury yield curve because it's a tenor that was reintroduced during the 2020 pandemic, and uh, it was discontinued in the 80s because uh, it was almost uh, always never liked. It always uh, offered uh, higher yields compared to other maturities. And at that point, uh, uh, the U.S. Treasury said that uh, it didn't make sense to continue this issuance because it was more expensive to shoot these bonds than other kind of tenors. So said that, um, yesterday the market uh, reacted uh, quite well to this issuance, but we have also to take into consideration that uh, this is one of those issuances that that the U.S. Treasuries uh, didn't increase in size after the last uh, QRA. Um, What's key is that indirects uh, uh, increased from 70% from the last month to 74%, and the bid to cover was uh, quite stable compared also uh, to the last uh, bid to cover, and it stopped through by one basis point. So basically, when issued was around 4.79%, and these bonds uh, have been sold at a high yield of 4.78%. This should have been enough to ignite a big and deep bond rally that could have taken 10-year U.S. Treasury yields down to test the resistance uh, support at 4.36%. But that didn't happen. Actually, yesterday, what we have seen and what I find incredibly interesting is that long-term yields adjusted lower by one, two, two and something basis points. And the front part of the yield curve moved 
slightly higher. So we had a twist flattening of the yield curve. And why I find that interesting? Well, first of all, there was no big rally in long term, um, in the long part of the yield curve. And that makes me think that a lot of the rally that we have seen in the past couple of weeks has been due to these kind of short coverings in bond future. And um, after yesterday, uh, auction no level was hit to reignite that kind of short low, uh, short covering in bond futures that would take yields further uh, down. And uh, another thing that is interesting is the short part of the yield curve uh, drifting slightly higher. And the way I read it is that as long-term yields are just lower, the market uh, start to price some sort of more aggressive Federal Reserve uh, uh, policies because the long-term yield might not be any more restrictive enough in order uh, for the Federal Reserve to achieve its inflation target. So it's very hard uh, within this setup uh, to take more duration risk at this point, especially as yields have uh, dropped uh, significantly in the past couple of weeks. I would want to have more confirmation of the Federal Reserve, what uh, are going to be their intention. And I honestly think, Peter, that there is going to be more pushback uh, from uh, Federal Reserve speakers or, um, you know, like the FOMC minutes, uh, for the simple reason that uh, the market uh, is pricing four interest rate cuts by 2024, but uh, the dot plot is showing only two. So it's more likely to have uh, the bear steepening of the yield curve uh, resuming uh, um, again before year end, uh, rather a constant uh, um, bull flattening or, you know, like... Uh, widespread drop of yields across uh, tenors at this point in time because the Federal Reserve doesn't want the market uh, to to price interest rate cuts at this point in time. All right. Great points there, Altia. And um, I should note as well that, you know, the uh, the 20-year the um, part of the U.S. yield curve, uh, you have an e- in a very liquid ETF in the U.S. called TLT. That's one, that instrument or ETF is actually quite popular among Saxo clients. Um it's not a usage fund, so it's predominantly professional or institutional clients of Saxo that are, are, are you know, and trading um, and investing in that part of the of the world or in, in those type of instruments. So that's just something to have in mind. I can definitely see on the positioning that that there are definitely one those that are betting on uh, on on very high duration U.S. government bonds to be something that can yield uh, an interesting return. But I think that concludes today's uh, podcast. We went a little bit longer than normal, and I hope that was okay because we had to explain uh, a more difficult topic this time around. But, um, yeah, so um, that was great. And we'll be back tomorrow with with a podcast on equities. But um, on bonds, thank you very much, Altia. And uh, think about that fiscal dominance. It's an interesting concept. And then, again, yeah, a lot of action potentially coming in the uh, the U.S. uh, Treasury market. But it didn't didn't come yesterday on that 20-year auction. But... um, it's still an interesting, interesting environment out there, and um, next data points can can change things a lot. So um, stay safe out there, and we'll be back tomorrow with an, a podcast on equities. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.